And you don't have to answer this question out loud. But have you ever had a time in your life, maybe you're there right now, where you got angry or you were angry with God? Where you were really ticked off with the Lord? He just didn't seem to make any sense as to what He was doing in your life, what He was doing with you. And in fact, what God was doing seemed to be unfair. And that particularly seems to rub the salt in the wound when you feel like you've been serving the Lord and trying to be as faithful as you know how to be. And you see God seemingly blessing someone else over here equal to or more than what he's blessing you. And you're thinking, you know, they really haven't earned that much of a blessing. And I have, at least in my opinion. And Lord, you know, you really need to do some explaining to me. Well, the Lord Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20, is addressing that very issue when we get mad with Him over the way He blesses and we don't understand it. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. Book of Matthew, chapter 20. I'm in a series of messages on the parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're going to look at what's known as the parable of the vineyard. The central truth of this parable is don't resent the way God chooses to run His kingdom. Don't resent the way God chooses to run His kingdom. Because in this parable, we're going to see that that's exactly the issue. Some folks here get mad with God because of the way He chooses to run and to operate His kingdom. So again, the central truth of this parable, and each parable has a central truth that it is seeking to communicate to us. And the one here is don't resent the way the Lord is running His kingdom. Now as you turn there, let me give you the background to this passage of Scripture because it's very important to set up the story that Jesus is going to tell. And the parables are stories that Jesus tells to illustrate and to convey a truth. He takes a basic truth and he lays down beside it a story. And the purpose of the story is to illustrate that truth. Now, in this particular parable, Jesus gives it in response to a question that his disciple Peter asked in the 19th chapter, the chapter just before this one, and the 28th verse. Excuse me, the 27th verse. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and have followed you. What then will we have? See, we've left everything and followed you. In other words, Lord, we've given it all up to follow you. What are you going to give us back? What will we have? Peter's looking at Jesus and says, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. We walked away from it all. So what are we going to get in return? And in response to that, Jesus gives them the story that we're going to look at. He says, you're going to get a hundredfold, and you will inherit eternal life. But then in verse 30, it says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. And he's setting up this parable that he's going to give. Now, this parable was given in an area called Perea. If you look at a map of ancient Palestine, you will see the Jordan River that cuts right down through the middle of Israel. And on one side you have of Jerusalem, etc. On the other side, paralleling the Jordan River, you have an area called Perea. Not a whole lot transpired in Perea in Jesus' ministry. The capital of Perea was a place called Gardea, where the place where he cast out all the demons out of the, what we call the Demonac of Gardea. Well, that's about the most famous story that took place in that area. Okay, Matthew chapter 20. 
beginning with verse 1, not too far from the Jordan River, Jesus begins to give this parable. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, as we process through this, you're going to notice that he hires them at different hours of the day. The Jews subdivided the day into 12 segments. With us, we subdivide a day into morning, noon, and evening. But the Jews subdivided their day into 12 segments. So when he talks about these different hours of the day, they are part of the different segments of the day. And that's why he identifies them as these hours. They who went out early in the morning, that would have been the first time, right around break, break of day, probably roughly around our 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, and that was the customary amount of money you would pay someone in that day for working all day long, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, which was a common place for people to gather during the day. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, which would have been around four or five o'clock in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Notice the focus of their grumbling. At the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have bored the burden of the day. In the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Uh, as in any story, we got characters, we've got a plot, we got a climax. Let's break it down. First of all, the characters. The character, first character we're introduced to here is the master of the house or the master of the vineyard, the guy who owns the vineyard, and that is the Lord God. Then there's a foreman. Some think the foreman who at the end of the day goes and calls them all in is a reference to the Lord Jesus. Then there are five sets of laborers, and these laborers are identified by the hours in which they are invited to come into work in the vineyard. The first, of course, being those who go into the vineyard at the very break of dawn early in the morning. 
the next group of laborers who go in, go in a little bit later in the day, and it continues until about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon when that last set of laborers goes in. And the laborers, we believe, are representative of Christians, people who have decided to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been invited to follow Jesus, and so they go in and they labor, and they labor at the specific task that he has given them to labor in. Notice what happens in the story. It says that he goes each of these different times during the day, and in the morning, he invites those laborers to go out there and begin working. Each other time, he goes into the marketplace, and he sees these laborers, but they are just standing around idle. They don't have anything to do. And he says, hey, I want you to come, and I want you to go in my vineyard. When I was growing up as a boy in my hometown of Richmond, I remember as a kid, we would go into downtown Richmond periodically, and Interstate 95 in the form of a high-rise bridge runs through the heart of Richmond. And when I was a kid, we would go underneath there, headed to usually the uh, farmer's market, and there would always be these groups of men standing under those, that bridge area, uh, warming their, their hands by a fire if it was the winter time, and just standing around. I remember asking my dad, I said, what are they doing? And he says, well, they're waiting for somebody to come by here and give them a job for the day. And uh, then they would pay them something, I guess, a day's wages for working. You probably wouldn't find them nowadays because the government's paying them to stay home and twiddle their fingers. I shouldn't have gone there. But anyway, I uh, couldn't help but pass that one up. But uh, anyway, but I would see them doing that and, and watch that. And I was wondering, you know, where are they going to go to work, et cetera. Well, that's sort of the idea here. They're just sort of hanging out in the marketplace and they're idle and they don't have anything to do. And notice what, how Jesus tells the story. The vineyard owner walks up to him and he says, hey, why aren't you working? And their response is, nobody's hired us. We don't have, no one's bothered to show any interest in us. And he says, hey, I want you to come work in my vineyard. Nobody else may have time and place for you, but I do. I want you to come and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you a denarius for your, your day's work. And so those are the laborers that he identifies here. Now, before we get into the plot and the climax, I want you to not miss something. It is so obvious in this passage of Scripture that it's like we don't see sometimes <clears throat> the uh, forest for the trees. And it is this. In telling this story, Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom is like. This is what my rule, my reign, my kingdom is like. It's like a vineyard. And a guy goes and he hires people to go work in the vineyard. I'm calling people to be part of my kingdom and to work and to carry out what I've got for them. But notice how this story opens up and how it continues and how it concludes. He begins the day by hiring a group of laborers. Later on, he hires a few more. And then he hires a few more. By 4 o'clock in the afternoon, even though he has been hiring all day, he still needs more laborers because even though he's hired all day, he doesn't have enough laborers to address the extent and the depth of the harvest that he's trying to get in. So he's even willing to hire up into an hour before he comes in order to accommodate all the harvest that has to be brought in because he still doesn't have enough laborers. <clears throat> Excuse me, at the end of the day, there are more laborers working their heads off than there were throughout the rest of the day because there's so much harvest that's got to come in by the end of the day. What is Jesus trying to show us and teach us? I think one of the first truths of this parable is that Jesus is trying to say, listen, 
My kingdom has got so much harvest that's got to come in that I'm going to keep bringing people and calling people to follow me and to serve me and to work on my behalf and to carry out the will and the purpose they've got for me. And I'm going to hire right on up until an hour before I come again because that's how much harvest is out there to be brought in. That is the exact opposite of how we tend to act and think and work in the church. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Because this is what we tend to say in the church. Well, it's not as good as it used to be. It will never be as good as it used to be. You know, the Lord used to save all kinds of people, and the church was really the thing in American society back, you know, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever. And we're getting closer to the end. And when you're in the last days, and the last days means that less people are going to follow the Lord and more people are going to turn away from God. So we just can't expect God to work and move today like he used to. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. What Jesus is teaching here is that he's going to have more people out in the field an hour before he comes than he's had all before. He is anticipating more of a harvest just before he comes in there has ever been. Folks, instead of the church looking back and say our best days are behind us, what we ought to be saying is, Jesus, the closer we get to your second coming, the more harvest there's going to be because you've already told us there's going to be more harvest. We're not going to sit back and say, hey, everything's falling to pieces. Rather, we're going to pray and look for the laborers and work to see your work done because you promised that the greatest harvest is just before you come back. That is what he's teaching in this passage. That is the hope of this passage. Now, the plot here is that all the laborers, regardless of when they begin to work, get paid the same thing at the end of the day. They get paid that day's wage. And that day's wage represents salvation, the eternal life that he gives them. They're paid that at the end of the day. Now, the climax comes in verses 10 and 12. And whether we really want to admit it or not, I don't know about you, but I, I identify with these folks that are grumbling. Because the first time I read this, when I read that verse that says he paid them the same, the ones that came at the end of the day, than the ones that I thought something about this is not fair. End of the day. Foreman comes out. <clears throat> All right, everybody, come on in. <clears throat> the guy that hired you, owner, he's going to pay everybody. So the guys that got hired at the beginning of the day, they must have gotten wind of the fact that these other guys have been promised a denarius, which again, that's what you got for, for, for a full day's wage back in those days. So they're no doubt sitting there thinking, well, if they're getting a denarius and they just work for an hour, man, I ought to get two, three, four, five denariuses because I've been working a whole lot longer than they've been working. So they all line up. I love the way Jesus tells the story. Jesus walks up to the first guy who got hired at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and says, here's your denarius. Then he walks up to the next guy, got hired later the day, and here's your denarius. Walks up to the next guy. Here, well, the guys that are at the end who got started, they've been working all day long. You know what they're thinking. I met their blood pressure is picking up, smile on their faces. Man, we are going to get paid a whole bunch. We thought we signed on for a denarius. We're going to get four or five more denariuses, etc. And then the foreman hands them a denarius. And they don't sing the hallelujah chorus at that point. They begin to grumble. And notice what it says. They grumble against the master. 
They are not happy campers. They are ticked off. And before we get on their case, if you went to work today and you work all day long and some guy starts at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and you've been working since 7 o'clock in the morning and the boss pays the person who started an hour before you did the same amount of money that they paid you for working all day, don't tell me that you and I are not going to be in the office that evening and we're not going to be up there passing out you know, donuts and saying let's have coffee and celebrate the fact that I got paid as much for working all day as the guy who started at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We're going to be just like these guys. We're going to be ticked off about it. Notice it says verse 11, key verse here. First of all, it says that they are grumbling. <clears throat> it's interesting Greek construction that uses there. He uses there. It means it was an ongoing thing. In other words, they just grumbled and grumbled and grumbled and grumbled. They were getting consumed in their grumbling. <coughs> Folks, we know we're in trouble in our walk with God when we move from praise to grumbling. What's the most in our lives, grumbling or praising? They had stopped their praising. They were going full-time into grumbling. Longevity of service. Thank you. Longevity of service does not necessarily mean depth of spirituality. Longevity of service to the Lord, how long we've been at it, is not necessarily a guarantee of the depth of our spirituality. Notice that they begin grumbling on receiving it. In other words, they received from the master the denarius, and that's what ticked off the grumbling. And what essentially Jesus is trying to illustrate here is when we receive the gift of eternal life, and yet that's not enough for us. We receive what God's got for us in our salvation, deliverance, knowing Him, walking with Him, and serving Him, and that's not enough. <clears throat> so we begin to grumble because we think we should receive more. Verse 11, notice where they are grumbling. They are grumbling at the master of the house. In other words, the focus of the fussing here is the Lord. And why? Because they don't think it's fair and because they are questioning the character of the master. And when you and I begin to grumble against God, it is usually because we feel like God has been unfair in our lives and because we are questioning his character. What is he doing here that does not make any sense? God, your character is at risk here. Now, some basic lessons in this parable. Lesson number one. We need to learn to be thankful for our salvation. We need to learn to be thankful for our salvation. Notice verse 14. It's very interesting what happens. When he begins to confront these gumros, he says, Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Notice how blunt he is. Take what belongs to you and go. The construction in the original language of this passage gives the idea that either he had given them the denarius and they had laid it back down and said we ought to get paid more, or he had put it out in front of them and they hadn't picked it up to begin with. They were so ticked off. <clears throat> either way, they're just, they've taken what the Lord's given them, the Master's given them, they're just letting it lay there. They're not taking it. They're fussing. I'm not taking that denarius because I think I should get more. And the owner looks at him and says, take it and go. You can hear the anger in his voice. Take it and go. This is what you agreed to. This is from me. So take it and go, and I don't want to listen to you fuss anymore about it. Be thankful for what you got. All right, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling. How many of us, on any given day, our relationship and our salvation in Jesus Christ is not enough for us. 
And that's why we grumble about it. Years ago, when I was early on in ministry, I was at a pastor's conference uh, where Dr. Charles Fuller, who pastored for decades, First Baptist Church of Roanoke, was the speaker. And he shared with us a story that I have gone back in my mind over and over again. He was on a mission trip in the Philippines. And he said one night after a full day of ministry, he laid down in the little cot in the hut where he was staying. And he began to think back to the day he came to know Jesus as his Savior and how God had saved him. And he thought about that day that he had trusted Christ. And he thought about what it meant to know Jesus. And he said, I found myself laying there in that bed and beginning to cry, thinking about what it meant to have come to Christ. And then he looked at us and he said these words, when was the last time you cried over your salvation? When was the last time you cried over Jesus Savior? He says, you know, everything else is icing on the cake. And I have often reflected on that because most of my grumbling is, God, I didn't get this blessing. I didn't get that blessing. You didn't do this for me. I wanted that. And the more I get into that, the more I forget that the greatest privilege I have, the greatest blessing that I have from the Lord, we've already got. And that is that we know him and that he has saved us. Everything else that Jesus does in our life is icing on the cake. But just knowing him, when was the last time we cried thinking about what it meant for Jesus to save us? Rejoice at your salvation. Second lesson from this story, rejoice at other people's salvation. Verse 15, he asked the question, do you begrudge my generosity? In other words, is your eye evil because of jealousy? Verse 12, they fuss at the master. And notice the words that they use in verse 12. You have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us. They couldn't be excited that those other guys had been hired. They couldn't be excited that those other guys had been working in the vineyard. They couldn't be excited that those guys who were out in the marketplace with no purpose, idle, nobody had the time of day for them. The master had found them in the marketplace. He had invited them to come work for him. He had invited them to come work in his vineyard. He, at the end of the day, was giving them the same payment, the same blessing, that same denarius that he had given to them. They couldn't be excited about that. All day long, they had worked in that vineyard and they had worked beside of those guys that were coming in all day. As they were out there working, they'd look up and a few more guys would come in. And they'd work a few more hours and a few more folks would come in. And they'd work a few more hours and they noticed that that vineyard was getting progressively filled with more and more laborers. And at the end of the day, the place was filled with more laborers than they'd ever had. And they could have made partnerships with those people coming in all day. They could have made friendships with those guys that were coming in all day long. They could have said, isn't it great that they're not out there standing in the marketplace with no purpose. They've got a purpose. They've got a reason for being here. But they were so focused on themselves that all they could see was, I didn't get what I wanted. Apparently, they hadn't taken time to even build friendships with the other guys that were out there. They didn't just saw them out there. What is Jesus saying to us? 
The first thing I think Jesus is trying to say to us is here is for those of us who've been at it for a while, we need to wake up <coughs> and realize it is not about us. It is about him. And we need to look at all the people that he wants working in his vineyard and not be threatened by them or jealous of them or frustrated with them or not want to associate with them if they're different from us, but rather to say, praise God, he's adding more and more people to his vineyard. Now, the folks that he gets in the morning at the beginning apparently were pretty good folks and upstanding folks in the community because he hires them right out. But then the rest of the day, he keeps going back to the marketplace and he keeps hiring these people that nobody else is hiring because he sees value and worth and dignity and ability in the people that nobody else wants to hire. And he keeps saying, hey, come to my vineyard, come work in my vineyard, come work in my vineyard. And folks, what we've got to realize is that when Jesus begins hiring his workers, it's his sovereignty as to who he chooses to hire. And sometimes he brings some people into work beside us that maybe weren't the people we would have chosen. They don't look like, talk like, sound like, dress like, smell like, etc., etc., the people that we would have chosen to work in the vineyard. And maybe that was the reason they didn't bother with them all day, didn't see them as partners. But he's got the right to put into his vineyard whoever he wants. And we need to rejoice with him at whoever he pulls out of that marketplace and places in that vineyard. And those guys couldn't do that. They were so focused on themselves and who they wanted to work with and how much they felt like they should be commensurated rejoice at others salvation and then finally honor God's sovereignty notice verse 13 God says I've done you no wrong I paid you exactly what I told you I was going to pay you and then notice verse 14 I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you in other words I will this is my will this is my desire I've chosen to give them just like I chose to give it to you. And then he says the last are going to be the first and the first are going to be last. He repeats that twice in one conversation. Whenever Jesus gets to repeating stuff, we've got to pay close attention to it. Some of you that are listening to me in this room and on radio and vis-a-vis the internet you're the folks in the marketplace you feel like you get passed over and the Lord just nobody has time for you and you feel like you show up late in God's work and in God's kingdom and you wonder does God have any time or any place because I've been you know some of you that listen to me you'd say well I'm not a religious person and I don't go to church much or you know I've pretty much grown up outside the church or you know, I just don't seem to know the Bible very well. I mean, we, it, you can come at it all kinds of ways. And the lesson, one of the lessons of this parable is that when God calls you, that's all that matters. When God calls you, that's all that matters. It's not whether you've been in church since you were in your diapers or not. It's not how much well you know the Bible. It's not how well you think you stack up to somebody else who's been doing it forever. When God calls you, that's all that matters. And God's going to give you the same eternal life that he's going to give any and everybody else. That's the reason grace is amazing. We don't understand it. And we don't deserve it. 
and God gives it out according to his will. But when God calls, your job is not to sit around and say, I don't deserve this. I haven't earned this. I'm not religious or churchy enough for it. When God calls, all you got to do is say yes. God says, I'll put you in my vineyard because it is my vineyard, nobody else's. And I'm the one who decides who shows up in my vineyard. And the work that I give you to do is good work and eternal work and valuable work because it is my work. And whatever section of the vineyard I send you into, don't worry about whether it stacks up to somebody else's section or not, because it's my vineyard and I know why I have placed you there, the work that specifically I have got you to do there. Again, it is his work in his way, so just go after it. And know that whoever you are and wherever you are and how long the day goes and how tough it may be, there is coming an end of the day. When we lived in Hampton Roads, always, we lived close to the shipyards and always knew when the end of the day had come because I could hear the horn sanding down from the shipyards. You could hear it up in the part of South Norfolk we went. I knew that shift was over with. They were heading home. And there is coming a day when the horn is going to sound, but this one is going to be Gabriel's. And Jesus is going to come again. And we're all going to stand before him. And the issue when we stand before him is simply this. Did we say yes when he called us? Did we? No matter whose family you're from and what your background is and whether you smell spiritual or not or whatever, that's not the issue. The issue is going to be, did you say yes? And he's going to stand there and he's going to begin giving out the rewards for serving him. Now notice the rest of the gospel of Matthew identifies for us who the least are. The least are the little children that come to Jesus. And the disciples say, he doesn't have time for kids. He's not about kids. And Jesus says, you let the little children come to me and forbid them not for such is the kingdom of God. These are the last. They just became first. They're going to come sit in my lap right now. The least that Matthew identifies as he moves through his book is a leper. That everybody else yelled, unclean, unclean, stay away. And Jesus said, come over here, I'm going to clean you up, I'm going to heal you, I'm going to give you a new life and set you on your way. The least are two blind men that Jesus heals. The least is a tax collector who was despised and hated by everybody. But Jesus... Matthew wrote about him because Matthew was writing about himself. You see, Matthew was one of the least. And so, as we can tell from Matthew's story, you see, Jesus had this dynamic going on between the disciples because the disciples were fishermen. And Peter and company went down to the Sea of Galilee and fished. When they finished, at the end of the day, they brought all their fish up. Matthew worked for the Roman government. The receipt of custom was not down at the ancient IRS office. Let me tell you what Matthew did. Matthew took his desk and went and set up shop right where the water ended and the shore started. Because when the fishermen rolled up, 
he started counting the fish and taxing them on it. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a fisherman and you roll up with your fish and there's a tax guy standing there counting your fish and loaning you a tax, you think you're going to give him a big hug and love him? You're going to hate him. And Matthew was despised. And Jesus gets the picture here. Jesus walks down to the shore of Galilee and there's Matthew working for the Roman government getting ready to tax all those fishermen There are Peter, James, and John coming off of the Sea of Galilee with their fish, knowing they got to face this taxation. Jesus is standing there. What do you think was going through Peter, James, and John's mind? Probably, oh, this is the day we've been waiting for. He's going to nuke Matthew right here in front of all of us. I can guarantee that's what they were thinking. He's going to let him have it right here in front of everybody. And Jesus does the unthinkable. He walks up to Matthew and he looks at Matthew and he says, Matthew, I want you to follow me. And can you imagine what must have gone through Peter's mind? Oh, Lord, have mercy. He's going to be part of the disciples. Is Jesus out of his mind? You mean I got to travel around with this stinking tax collector? Jesus is the last, going to be the first, first, going to be last. I just invited him to come work in my vineyard. Just invite him to come work and be part of the family. Get over it, Peter. Because, Peter, I called you out of some junk, too. In fact, all 12 of you, I had to deliver you out of junk to get you into my vineyard. So rejoice in what I do and don't sit here and fuss about the way I do it. Let me do my thing and follow me. And it's going to be okay. And that's what his lesson is to us. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this afternoon, Lord, we are thankful for the salvation that you have given us. Lord, we want to rejoice at the salvation that you are giving other people. And Lord, we want to finally choose to honor the fact that you are Lord. You are sovereign, and you can call whoever you want, and we will partner with them and serve alongside of them. And God, I pray that there's no one listening who would walk away from you because they would say, I don't deserve to be called, I don't deserve to be in the Lord's vineyard, but rather say, Jesus, any way you want to take my life and use me. Anywhere in your vineyard you want to place me, Lord, I'm there. And God, for those of us who've been serving you for a while, May we welcome as brothers and sisters in Christ those who join us as we work in this vineyard together. Father, this day we give you praise and we honor you. For folks who are listening to me right now, if you want to hear his call, and Jesus is calling, and you in this day need to say to him, Jesus, I will follow you, I will serve you, I will walk with you, I will belong to you that I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer to him. Just say, Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I will follow you. Forgive me of my failures. And Jesus, I will follow you. Lord, we bless you and we honor you this day for the privilege of following you. 
For those who pray that prayer, if you're here in this room, I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing to walk the aisle of this church. I'd love to pray with you about it. For those of you that are listening to us through the internet, I want to invite you to contact us through uh, the internet, through email. Let us know so that we can encourage you and help you. Post it on Facebook so that we can be responsive to you and, and help you. We have something we'd love to send you that will help you grow in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise right now for what you're going to do in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.